0: Hello and welcome to the Providence Journal Pick and Pop podcast, our weekly look at the college basketball scene both here in Rhode Island and around the country. Uh, this is Kevin McNamara with Bill Koch uh, and we're uh, Bill. An awful lot has happened since the last time we teed up a uh, Pick and Pop podcast. And we've had some, uh, some
1: great games, some great finishes, uh, some really interesting developments in college basketball here. Uh, First, Kevin, I'd like to take a minute to recognize uh, today being December 7th, Pearl Harbor Day, the 75th anniversary of the attacks on Pearl Harbor. I'd like to thank all the veterans out there uh, for their service. And also, I'd like to wish a happy birthday to my favorite basketball player and yours, one Larry Joe Bird.
0: Wow. Wow. That's Caught me by surprise there, Bill. Not only with the drop on Pearl Harbor, but then uh, the drop on Larry Bird. Very nice. Very nice. I... uh woke up this morning I didn't know that bird was 60 I did know that he was born on Pearl Harbor Day and uh, anyone who's never who's you know listens to us and we thank you who has never never saw Larry bird play live there is this thing called YouTube uh, carve out about a half hour today and uh, watch some highlights your eyes will fall out of your head but uh, uh, that's that uh, we go on to uh, the basketball scene here and Again, it has been an awful lot that has transpired. None, no game bigger than Saturday's game at the Dunkin' Donuts Center where Providence was able to get by Rhode Island 63-60. to 60. We could probably do a half an hour just breaking down that game. But I'm uh, going to kind of just look at some things that have transpired uh, even since Saturday. We're going to start with Providence. And, you know, the one thing that's jumping out uh, right now, Bill, with the Friars is their defense. They're in the top ten in the country in points allowed, um, uh, you know, team defense. And uh, that carried over last night as well, where they just manhandled Brown um, 95-57, held the Bears to 37% shooting, and they forced 19 turnovers. Uh, That's two back-to-back really good defensive games uh, for the Friars. Uh, I guess the question is, is this a surprise, or, or is this... This team made up to be a good defensive ball club. It's a great example
1: that the transitive property doesn't apply to sports. URI plays Providence close. Brown plays URI close. So we think last night maybe Brown and Providence will be competitive, and it wasn't that at all. Um, and I, I look at Providence, and I think we talked a little bit about this last week in the podcast. They've got a lot of length at the defensive end. I think they're sacrificing for one another at this point on the defensive end. I think Ed Cooley has done a great job early of defining roles for his players, whether it be his starters or the guys he's going to off the bench, and I think they just have a really nice mix right now in their rotation that's allowing them to play very good basketball, probably better than than we expected
0: and maybe even better than they expected. I I, I think it is. You know, you look at just the makeup of the team defensively, you'd say, well, they lost Chris Dunn, so they're not going to be able to pressure the ball as well as they did last year. and they certainly don't have much size so they shouldn't be able to protect the rim and yet you know they've been out rebounded several times and still hold teams under under 45 40 percent shooting and and keep the game at a pace that they like Uh, it'll be very interesting to see if this can uh, keep up uh, obviously going into the big east play but there's a few hurdles left for the friars they host massachusetts on uh, saturday and then end up going to boston college just before christmas those are the two, you know, larger tests left. But I guess the question is, is you know, Providence is 7-2 and two now, Bill, and uh, are we looking at another team that can make a run, if not to the NCAA tournament, but at least to the bubble?
1: Well, they've got a couple good wins already, beating Memphis uh, and beating Rhode Island. You know, those will be top-100-ish type wins uh, over the course of the year. Rhode Island could be a top-50-ish type win over the course of the season. I think the one thing that Providence has had in common under Ed Cooley is that they've defended the three-point line very well. I know teams now, they look you know, at, uh, at metrics, like we talked about last week, the most efficient ways to score at the foul line, at the rim, and from three. Last night, Brown goes three for 17 from three-point range. Brown's generally a decent three-point shooting team. Uh, but Providence is able to just run opponents off that line. And then once you try to drive into the paint, we've talked about this before, just the length that Providence has in their lineup past Kyron Cartwright, there's just not a lot of space to work in there. And unless you have... A legitimate post presence polished post guy who 's about six foot nine who can isolate someone on one of the low blocks, you have a hard time. I also think that Providence plays a zone, and Bill Reynolds talks about this all the time. When you have a team that 's effective in the zone, players don 't like to play against it because they don 't see it very often. they think it's it 's some kind of gimmick you know like they 're used to playing man to man and if you 're not playing man to man against me you know you 're cheating in some way you 're not tough enough in some way. Providence has no shame in doing it. It works beautifully for them.
0: Yeah, it's it's a tool that they kind of have in the back pocket, really haven't used it pretty much since the Memphis game. Uh, I think Ed Cooley said they played two possessions in the Rhode Island game of zone, and um, I believe he said, uh, it wasn't Jared Terrell, it may have been uh, uh, Christian Thompson, who nailed the three in the corner against the zone, and that was it. Uh, it's a short lease zone, and uh, they played no zone against Brown uh, either and just kind of went after them. I think what we're seeing uh, on the offensive end, what's been interesting about Providence is, you know, at the start of the season, I think everyone knew that Kyron Cartwright would have the ball and that Rodney Bullock would have a chance to take a big step up, but and he has in a major way. But the emergence of Bullock, Holt, and Lindsey into consistent, you know, offensive performers – uh, that, that's really what Providence needed to see. Well, I mean, Holt for me is the big piece because
1: when he plays well inside, Rodney Bullock can get out on the perimeter, where I think he's a major mismatch at six foot eight. Uh, when he can get out there and sort of you know be guarded in space by a smaller forward, we've seen him be able to make shots. He can get to the rim. He can be aggressive inside. And last night he had eight rebounds in that game. Um, you know, had sixteen points in the game. He he asserted himself again. You know, Emmett Holt was outstanding, Uh, 9 for 10 from the field, 20 points. Um, You know, also had five assists in the game, which, you know, really just just speaks to how well rounded he was last night. But I think Emmett Holt is the key for these guys. You knew going in that Cartwright and Bullock were going to be decent for this team, and you were wondering who the third scorer or third
0: option would be, and I think he's done a great job of giving them that over the first nine. Yeah, and you just look back to the Rhode Island game on Saturday when. You know, crunch time, very, very typical, you know, Big East, uh, you know, high-end Big East, high-end Atlantic 10, you know, finish, uh, where you need to execute down the stretch. And who did they go to? They went to Bullock, who made like a Magic Johnson, you know, in the lane, very tough baby hook. Yes, yes. Uh, uh, Really tough shot with about three minutes to go. And then Jalen Lindsay made one of those, uh, as Ed Cooley called it, an oh-no shot. You know, like, what are you doing? and uh, made a very tough like 13-foot jump shot. Those are the tough shots that teams have to make under pressure, and it seems as if Providence has more than one option, which was really the concern coming in, is who could score besides Bullock. And uh, it seems as if they, they're, they're developing you know, more options.
1: Well, the hallmark of good teams is a different guy steps up and makes a play when you really need it. Balance. Yeah, the other day it was
0: Jalen Lindsay making that
1: shot with about 43 seconds to go, Dribbling pretty much into nowhere, it looked like, and then he rises up and fires from the right wing and, and knocks one down that made it a four-point game uh, and really ended the game. Providence did a good job finishing it out the last 40 seconds. But it was Bullock who carried the mail in the second half. He was 0-3 from the field in the first half. Second half, he had all five of his field goals, uh, you know, had 17 points in the game and, and looked like you know, the elite offensive option that, that we expect him to be. Uh, you know, and again, that was another one of those games where Providence just did a great job at the defensive end. It was a tough day for E.C. Matthews. He went three for 13 from the field. Uh, you know, really struggled with nine points. And you know, Hassan Martin did all he could, had 14 and a career-high
0: 17 rebounds. It just wasn't enough. Yeah, and uh, again, back to that. You know, late execution. It's funny, people. You know, jumped on the Rams a little bit for not winning that game. I, I think they just don't appreciate how difficult it is to, to win a road game and to win a rivalry road game at, at a place like Providence when you haven't won in, you know, 14 years, whatever it's been up at the dunk. It, that means it's hard. It's tough to do. And Rhode Island was in position to, to, to get, to steal a win, really not playing well, you know, shooting 31% in the second half, and yet they're, you know, maybe two stops and a jump shot away from from escaping with a victory. Um you know, down the stretch, they went to E.C. Matthews, uh, went to Jarrett Torrell, and uh, you know the, those guys just couldn't shut the door. And I think that'll be interesting going forward. Is you know those two, and really those two, and Jarvis Garrett, the, you know, the, uh, they they have to be the ones who, who execute under pressure.
1: Matthews got off to a great start this year, and, and over his last four, he had struggled uh, going into last night against Old Dominion. He was ten for thirty-five from the field. He was in single digits all four games, and. You know, Let's make it real clear right from the start. This isn't anything physical. We know he's coming back from a knee injury last year and, and maybe there's a little bit of fatigue, but this is a mental thing with E.C. Matthews at this point. It's confidence. Uh, he missed a couple shots you know, in, in a couple games and that tends to snowball for a shooter, for a scorer. It's all about confidence. You can see when they're playing well. You look at Rodney Bullock for Providence the other night against New Hampshire. His shots going down All he wants to do is keep going. Uh, When you're missing, it's very difficult. And and EC, I think especially in the Providence game, was settling too much. One for eight from three, uh, which which wasn't a positive sign. You look last night at his performance against Old Dominion. Uh, Rhode Island won that game 51-39. to It was a real defensive rock fight. In the first half, Matthews had 12 of his 15 points, and he was going to the rim early. Uh, He made a layup in traffic probably about five minutes into the game where he sliced through two different guys down the left wing, made a tough layup off the glass and I thought to myself, that's a good sign because he was aggressive, he was decisive, got to the rim and he was able to finish and I think we need to see more of that from him going forward because you know, like it or not he will set the tone for this team offensively in terms of his ability to make a shot and Dan Hurley said in the post game this is the guy we're going to ride or die with. He's fully committed to this player and You know, I I don't see that changing anytime soon.
0: No, and, uh, you know, it's funny, Bill. You just slid me the box score from the Old Dominion game last night, a 51-39 win, as you said. Uh, I don't even want to look at it, you know, because it it has nothing in common with, I think, what we'll see from Rhode Island the rest of the year. They're not going to hold the team to 39 points, and God forbid they're not going to shoot 19% in the second half and win a game. (laughs) Right. I mean, to just throw those numbers out, throw them. Uh, but I think more importantly, what you did see last night, from what you know I could get from the game uh, by not being there, was Rhode Island play with that you know dirt dog intensity on the defensive end that uh, maybe was it wasn't missing I, that that gave him a chance to win the Valpo and Providence games, but but it wasn't the dominant trait that I think Dan Hurley wants to see. Yeah, it was uh, it was always going to be that type of game. They're two
1: very good defensive teams and two of the slower teams in the country in terms of pace. Uh, and, and I think, you know, just two losses on the road and, and having to sit on that for forty-eight hours—that didn't sit well with Dan Hurley and, and with his players. Uh, you know, he had a noticeable edge in the post-game press conference, and you have to remember that he's a New Jersey guy. And I think there was a little bit of Bill Parcells and a little bit of Bill Belichick to his remarks last night. He almost had the feeling of, you know, no one outside this locker room is going to believe us anymore. We're not nationally ranked anymore. We didn't beat Providence. You know, we only have one more real non-conference opportunity on the road against Houston. No one's going to think you guys are any good anymore, so now we have to show people we're back to prove-it mode instead of expect-it mode. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I think, you know, in the long term, maybe this could be a good thing for, for this team to sort of hit the reset button uh, and start over. Because last night, if they defend that way against
0: you know the rest of their schedule, they're going to win more games than not. Yeah, and uh, you know, you made a good point there about the uh, you know expected versus prove it. I, I always thought that maybe they put the cart before the horse a little bit—not they, but maybe the national media put the cart before the horse by ranking the Rams and expecting an awful lot from a team that you know didn't even make the NIT last year, and, and its best player was coming off a major, major knee injury. But you know, it is what it is. You know, uh, I, I thought Hurley made some good comments last night that uh, we have to own last week. Uh, learn from it and move ahead. And there's a lot of games left to be played. Uh, obviously, the biggest one that they have is the next one at Houston on Saturday, which will be a real test. I'm not going to say it's tougher than the Providence game because that game comes with uh, a lot of extras, as they say, but uh, Houston's probably better than Valparaiso.
1: Well, and the, the other difficulty here is they could be without Hassan uh, Martin. Uh, you know, he's going to be out indefinitely, as has a right quadriceps injury. Uh, played through it against Providence. Uh, you know, you could see him. He played 35 minutes. When he was out, he was riding the stationary bike in the tunnel. I let him play through it again. By he had
0: 17 rebounds, he was like Moses
1: Malone. I, it, it was phenomenal the performance that he produced. Uh, you know, I overheard him say during the pregame that he felt a little tight, uh, and that I think it was one of those things, Kevin, probably where played through it was warm and felt okay and then the next day probably woke up and said whoa I might have a little bit of a problem here
0: yeah and you know I I know they you know you only can reveal so much but I thought uh, Hurley was interesting this in post game where he said that Hassan has a has a unique injury that's uh, really not a basketball injury uh, I would imagine it happens mostly to sprinters and football players uh that leads me to believe that if it's not a tear of a quad it's, it's pretty close, and you wonder how long uh, it's going to take to heal. he's going to be reevaluated evaluated today. Uh, you know Hurley said after the game
1: last night that there were going to be further testing uh, done today. Uh, we get to go to practice tomorrow for media availability uh, ahead of Houston, and, and we'll have an update at that point. And ideally, Rhode Island will have more answers at that point. Uh, you know, obviously, you can't be without this guy for a long stretch, especially not when you get into Atlantic 10 play. Uh, he's been outstanding to this point this year. 16.8 rebounds are, are both best on the team. Uh, his field goal percentage is through the roof. Block shots—he's leading the league and in, in the top 10 in the country in block shots per game. Uh, you know, really looked like he was—he was on the way to a monster season. Uh, you know, and you look at Rhode Island's schedule upcoming. If you get past Houston. You have Holy Cross and William & Mary, two winnable games at home, with or without Hassan. St. Louis on the road, which is a conference game, is a road game, granted, but one on paper that you should be able to win without Hassan. Maybe the worst team in the league. Right. Picked worst. Rebuilding St. Joe's at home on January 3rd, and then Dayton, trip to Dayton on January 6th. That's a full month from today. Mm if, if you're able to stretch it out that far, let him sit out a month, rest, recuperate to 100% so there's not a recurrence of this, get him back on the floor maybe for a few minutes against St. Joe's and then maybe have him full go for Dayton. That
0: really should be the goal in my mind. Yeah, uh, that would make, uh, you know, with a two home wins, uh, again, the Houston game, a very big game. You know, you, you'd like to be – I guess that would make them either uh, – nine and three or eight and four right uh i would say that that's a big difference but uh i do expect houston to be in the top four or five in their league maybe even higher if things come together uh and a road win is a road win you know those are so valuable in college basketball so saturday shapes up as a very big game uh, for the rams and uh, with or without hassan but it certainly is looking like uh, he's not going to be able to play um i think that's pretty much it bill um Again, the Friars are hosting Massachusetts on Saturday. Uh, I want to throw this in at the end here. Ed Cooley had, has he's dropped this into his post game a few times now. Uh, I think he, I think he's miffed by the crowds uh, at the Dunkin' Donuts Center. Oh, well, he, he and Dan Hurley have something in common there. That's for sure. Yeah, last night there were less than five thousand uh, at the Dunk for Brown, forty-eight and change. That's the third crowd below five thousand. Uh, this year. I don't think Providence had one crowd below 5,000 last year. Obviously, they had an All American who people wanted to see and Chris Dunn, but uh, I, I think Cooley uh, has been caught by surprise. What's interesting is that there's a lot of tickets out. People just aren't coming. Uh, they're, they're sold really? tickets. Sold tickets. Uh, their season ticket base is over 5,000 right now, as is, and then the student tickets, student season tickets sold out, 1,000 tickets. There weren't there weren't 50 students at the Brown game last night, and uh, I don't. I'm not quite ready to hear that it's exam time just yet in college. It's not. No. So it's it's either uh, you know you want to come and support your team, or you don't. Uh, Providence's uh, Providence's uh, non-student fans have always been, you know, uh, we want to see the big games only, but uh, that's not the way it works in college basketball. Turn on your TV. Uh, the the real programs, the fans are there almost every game, and uh, I think that's really what uh, both URI and Providence are looking for going forward. It's really interesting
1: when, when you hear you know, maybe the perspective of fans who say, we want to see our team play real teams, we want to see you know, ranked teams and, and name programs and, and whatever else. Rhode Island was the first ranked team to play at Providence non-conference since 2006, which was Boston College, which is a, a traditional rival, mm-hmm. a team that they play every year. Uh, the message there, folks, is it's not easy to schedule those games. You know, like if, if you take, you know, say, the, the second or third best team in the SEC, if they happen to be ranked a given year, they're not coming to Providence to lose a game. They don't want to do that. That's not how they operate. They don't take that sort of risk. And, and that's why you see you know, Rhode Island and Providence aggressively pursuing these neutral court events, what they call MTEs, uh, you know, Providence has played in a couple really good ones. Rhode Island's played in a couple really good ones recently. The higher profile you get, the more likely you're, you're going to be to be invited to those. Those are the substitute for the quote-unquote name opponents coming in. You, you'll never get Virginia to come to the Dunkin' Donuts Center to play Providence. That's just not going to happen. But if you're willing to go to Destin, Florida, you can play
0: them no, in a
1: neutral court game.
0: No question. And those are always the highlights of your non-conference. But, uh, you know, you need to be able to draw fans and have a home court advantage every time you play. Uh, and, you know, last year, again, you know, they were in the top 25, had Chris Dunn, etc. But there were, you know, eight, 9,000 people for the majority of the home games, whether it was Albany or it was Central Connecticut, uh, uh, Marist, you know, people came out. And I think Providence probably assumed that that would carry over just because of the pre-sale. Uh, the pre-sale of tickets was quite strong again, but... People again have bought tickets and aren't showing, and I think that's got them scratching their heads a little bit.
1: Well, it's disappointing. I mean, you've made the NCAA's three times in a row. You've only done that two other times in program history. Uh, you have a coach who's from Providence, who who does all the right things, runs a great program uh, culturally. I, I think he's got them to a point where you know they're just really tough and, and easy to root for. Uh, you know, they give you an honest effort every time they go out there. It might not always be the prettiest uh, that you're going to see, but you know. You, I don't think you can say most nights under Ray Cooley that Providence doesn't play to 100% uh, every time and, and give you your money's worth. Um, and, and I think your point is well taken. And you know, I think Ed and, and Dan Hurley are saying the same things. They would like to take their programs to the next level, but it's not about them and it's not just about the team. They need more than that, whether it's the fans, the donors, the universities. It, it's all intertwined in terms of you know, recruiting and budgets and scheduling, and fundraising. It's, it's all very complex. People just want to look at it and say, well, if they win, we'll show up. Well, there's a lot more that goes into winning in 2016 than there was in
0: 1986. No question. It's a, it's a money game. There's no two ways about it. And, uh, you know, Massachusetts on Saturday at noon. Uh, Could uh, be a sneaky game. Very sneaky game. They're going to have to play and play well and I can guarantee you that the, the student turnout won't be there on a Saturday at noon because usually it isn't. It's a little early for 19- uh, and 20-year-olds, but uh, I, I'd be disappointed if Providence doesn't have a decent crowd for uh, for UMass. I,
1: I will say to the Friar fans, uh, you know, UMass has two guys who you would like to see, uh, Luan Pipkins and Dijon Jarrow. Uh, Luan Pipkins was a four-star recruit last year who spent a year in residence as a non-qualifier talented guard out of Chicago and Dijon Jarrow was a top 50 recruit out of Louisiana 6'5 shooting guard who has NBA potential Uh, and those guys could give you a problem now granted they are young players they're inexperienced playing a real road game but if they come into that sort of placid environment that that Ed's been talking about uh, you know they they could have a chance to do something here and uh, you know Providence would be wise not to take that game lightly.
0: I'm sure they won't. I'm sure their fans will, but we'll see how that shakes out by late Saturday afternoon. Thanks, Bill, and we'll catch up again next week. All right, Kevin.